Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company. Happy New Year, by the way. Uh, and thanks very much to the sponsors of the podcast, charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors. I wish them a, a great year, a very successful commercially and ethically year for them. They're a, a great company based in Ramsbottom in the Berry area. They, uh, they sell and buy properties. They also advise on getting mortgages. So if you think, well, that's not in my area, but you want some advice anyway on how to procure a mortgage, uh, how to move forward, what to do, either commercially or privately, give them a bell. Um, the number is on the beginning of the podcast and you can find them on their website, charleslouis.co.uk. Um, now, my guests for the first podcast of 2022 are um, an absolute Manchester City legend in Paul Power, former player, former captain, former academy director, um, and involved with Everton when they won the, the, the league, the Premier League, as it would be now. Um, PFA man, he's done everything this man. He's a, a graduate, so I feel in awe of him uh, in that sense as well. So Paul Power's with us. So thanks very much for your time today, Paul. Um, and also we've got Amy and Harlan from the Forever Blue uh, podcast team. So happy New Year to everybody. So let's start with you, Paul. Um, obviously City uh, had a, a much-discussed victory uh, at Arsenal over the weekend, New Year's Day. Uh, lots to talk about in that. Um, did you get the chance to watch the game uh, in full or have you seen the highlights or have you just heard about it? I mean, what were you up to in that, Paul? No, I did. I watched, I watched the game. I'm actually at my daughter's house in, uh, in London at the moment. So uh, uh, I was able to watch it on BT and uh, watched it with, uh, with my son-in-law, who's a Southampton fan, actually. But... Um, you know, I'll forgive him for that, but a great uh, time to start 2022. So it'll be 11 points clear at the top of the league. You know, big game today and, and see uh, how that works out for City. But it seems just at the moment, uh, everything's going well for them. But it's not, it's not only that, it's, you know, he's using the squad uh, really liberally. And everybody's complaining about too many games over the Christmas period. But, but Pep seems to trust whoever he puts in, you know. Uh, so how can you leave Grealish and Foden out yesterday? And uh, the players that came in have done, uh, have done a, per a perfectly good... I thought, I thought the game against Arsenal was a great advert for Premiership football yesterday. Some people have suggested, particularly Arsenal fans, but, but even some City fans, and I think Pep said it as well, that Arsenal were the better team and that City had a little bit of good fortune to win that game. How do you view it? No, I don't. I don't agree. Actually, I mean, I, I think Arsenal did play uh, better than City on the on the day. But you know, football matches are all about important moments, and um, and it, and if you can make those moments work for you, then uh, you know, then you'll you'll get the most out of the football match. Even though perhaps you, but City had seventy percent, nearly sixty five percent possession. So you can't fault that the uh, you know that they, they hadn't played well, um, but you know people are talking about the penalty uh, Bernardo Silva. It wasn't a penalty. Listen, if when I used to coach defenders, I would say the first thing you do as a defender is you stand up. You don't commit yourself to the ball. You stand up, move your feet, and then and then uh, as as the attacking player moves the ball, you move your feet with him. You don't dive in. If you dive in and you miss the ball and you take the player, then you've got to accept the consequences because that 
is poor defending. It's poor defending. I was taught to defend really by uh, by Don Howe, you know, and and uh, he was uh, always on it. Stand up, stand up. You know, play, defenders dive in now inside the box. So if you don't time your tackle properly, then the consequences are that you give a penalty away. I can't, I can't understand uh, what the problem is like, you know. And with regard to the City penalty, uh, it wasn't obvious whether he took the ball first or his foot. Now, when you slow it down like 100 times, or then maybe you could say he, he, he made contact with his foot first. But the rule is... The, the referee makes that decision on the pitch. Otherwise, you might as well just have a referee uh, in the air somewhere who's going to make a decision about everything. And I think they should do that about uh, offside decisions as well. So that if it's a minuscule offside decision, that the linesman is quite within his right to give it or not, then leave it. You know what I mean? Because nobody's trying to gain an advantage by just you know, maybe making a run a, slight, a second early or whatever, you know. So uh, so I think referees are intelligent blokes. They, they are, you know, they want to do well uh, for themselves and for their careers. Uh, when I was at the PFA, I worked with the, the Northwest uh, um, Area Referees Association, uh, and I was putting the players' point of view. And these fellas were really um, uh, sort of conscientious about getting decisions right and everything, you know. So so leave them to it. Leave them to it. You don't need to interfere as much as we have been doing, like, you know. And uh, everybody talks about VAR now instead of the football. Well, I'd be interested to know what, therefore, it leads perfectly on to the question of what you think of VAR. I mean, I'm, I've never been a fan, but, but, but you, know, might, you might have a different view. Uh, no, I, uh, I agree 100%. I think if, uh, if it's an obvious... See, the reason the, the City's goal was given yesterday was because the referee didn't see the player tug his shirt. Right. Now, that if you took a player's shirt in the penalty area, you know what's going to, you know what's coming. So, if, but if the referee's not seen that, then Bard is totally within its rights to overrule him or to ask him to go and look at the screen. Um, you know, but um, I just, I just think in the other, in the other situation, there wasn't, there wasn't anything. Uh, that the referee hadn't seen. He'd seen the incident per uh, perfectly, the, uh, uh, the tackle by City's keeper. And, uh, you know, he, so his decision was that... And if you look at the direction of the ball, the ball goes away from the goal. So it looks as if he might have got the ball first. Really, you know, I mean, it's just common sense. And uh, VAR is only there, you know, if, if a player is miles offside and, uh, and an alignsman doesn't give it, you know, then uh, uh, then there's a, there's a room for VAR there, you know, but I think only in obvious uh, cases of mistake. Where are City now in terms of the title race? I mean, as we're recording this, Chelsea and Liverpool are due to play today, mm -hmm. but regardless of what the outcome of that game is, the, the gap is so big turning into the new year. I think I read a stat today that only it's only the third time that a team has been so far ahead at the turn of the year. Um, you would look at it if you weren't a City fan and you weren't you had no emotional attachment and say it's done and dusted, wouldn't you? I mean, I know it isn't statistically, but you you would if you were looking neutrally at it. I wouldn't. If I was if I was Pep, I would not think that I'd won this. 
And uh, the, 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 biggest, the biggest danger that City would have now, uh, whether they go on to win the league or not, would be complacency. You know, and if they if the players think that they don't have to go and close the ball down that last 10, 15 yards, if they don't think they've uh, you know they've um, they've got to work hard for each other, then that'll be the biggest problem that they have because teams like I mean, I, I went to uh, the Brentford game. My daughter lives just down the road from from Brentford, uh, so I went to the game there. City didn't play particularly well, uh, but. Brentford created a few chances. Watford will create chances. Leeds will create chances. Even Norwich, who are, you know you would think are doomed at the moment, right? But so if you get complacent, these teams will create chances against you and score goals against you. So you can't afford to have that. You know you keep your feet on the ground. You treat every game uh, with its own merits. You eliminate their strengths. And you play to your uh, sorry. You eliminate their strength. You play to their to your own strengths, uh, and 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 then you're more likely to go on and win the game. But yeah, I mean they put themselves in a fantastic position, and they won the last eleven games, I think. So um, you know they've only lost two games in the first part of the season out of twenty games. They've got about eighteen left. You know you can't see them losing maybe five or six. But you could see him losing three or four. So, you know, maybe um, maybe they, they should just concentrate on each game at a time, uh, what the job is. I know it's a, it's a cliche, but um, I'm sure he'll be putting that message over to the players. What do you think, Amy? You watched the game, I guess, uh, well, both the games that Paul just mentioned, the Brentford game and the Arsenal game. Some City fans are saying... As, as Paul's just indicated as well, that City haven't been at the best, particularly in those games. But being in the uh, away end down at Arsenal, um, when you're emotionally involved in it as well, you sort of think, well, they won. They got a late winner and that showed a lot of character and a lot of grit and a lot of something that is undefinable that, that makes the difference between a winner and a loser. So they won the game. Um, how, how would you assess those those performances, Amy? Um. Well, Arsenal were straight out of the traps yesterday. So um, I think like first first few minutes or whatever, we you know Arsenal did play really well. Um, but it's all about the goals in it, and we got we got the goals and we won. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, Twitter was just going off on one. Uh, apparently, I didn't listen to beat because I can't stand BT Sport commentators. So I listened to Alistair Mann on the uh, app, um, and uh, basically, you know, like um, kept flitting obviously to to the game and to the to the radio. Um, but yeah, uh, I feel like the decision before they said that Arsenal should have got a penalty. If you watch the video, you'll see, I can't remember it was, who stood on Edison's leg. Um, so in fairness, you know, we should have got something out of that instead, but luckily Arsenal didn't get the pen. Um, and then he dragged Bernardo down. So if you, if you, I mean, be apparently BT Sport, the guys in the studio, uh, with the like with the biased opinions as usual 
apparently Jake Humphreys was going off on one, which I just think is really disgusting. You're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be neutral people. Um, and apparently, you know, it's this, this thing's got to stop where like what, you know, but then I just think, well, you know, if you're going to be upset with City, be upset with City. I don't really care. It's, we're winning and that's all that matters. Um, so you can be upset about it all you want. Uh, apparently Rio Ferdinand weren't that bad, but apparently the rest of them were. He was, um, man. Amy, he was. He, yeah. He, and he's a, he's a red. He's a red and yeah. you would expect that. And, yeah. then, and Martin Keown, who worked with the uh, the commentary as well, he's a yeah. he's an Ars- he, he used yeah. to play for Arsenal, so there was a big bias. You know, yeah. I you agree. With I mean, you were you wouldn't think that Steve McManaman. I know he didn't play long for us, but you wouldn't think that he pulled on a City shirt once upon a time, would you? Like they just, I just think it's absolutely like disgusting the way that they are. Um, but like I say, we'll keep winning. We'll keep getting on the nerves. I'm not bothered. We won. End of story. Yeah, I mean, good we hadn't heard of manure on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, Paul, and he was he was he was very eloquent. He's a, a smart man like you. He's a graduate, uh, and, and not that you don't you know you're not intelligent, you're not a, a degree or anything like that. But nevertheless, you know, um, he he gave his views on the media, and I've seen so many people. Clearly, you know, I was at the game, so I didn't hear any of it. But um, I, I've so much views of, of people being negative about the commentary why is it why is it is there an agenda against city is there some je- is it jealousy it, what is it because when other teams have dominated the league in the past when united have run away with it when liverpool have run away with it even when chelsea dominated for a little while you know, there didn't seem to be that anti the the team at the top agenda quite to the degree that there is now why, why does it exist paul yeah, it's just a it's just a, a fact of life. People are jealous of successful people, you know. And um, and I also I'm, I don't know whether um, BT Sport choose their um, expert analysts because they know that they're going to be more controversial and it's going to stir up, uh, you know, and uh, it's going to stir up argument. And, and people are going to be more interested in the programme generally. So, you know, you would put Roy Keane as a, an analyst when Man United play Liverpool because, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just a, a sort of a hatred of when, um, when they used to play each other in years gone by, which, which carries on. And that, that's good for the programme, you know. I mean, uh, as much as uh, I didn't agree with Rio Ferguson, uh, Ferdinand, Ferdinand, and he is a defender... And you'd have thought he'd have defended defenders' ability to defend properly, but he didn't, you know. And I think uh, his, his his view was clouded uh, a little bit by the fact that uh, he was on the red half of the city rather than the blue, uh, you know. Well, it's a subject I'm sure that will continue to be discussed by city fans because it never seems to go away. Um, I asked uh, Paul before about the title race, and I'll keep talking about this to everybody that joins me basically on the podcast Amy but uh, you know you're you're a younger fan certainly than I am I mean do you start to look at the you know imagine the title being lifted in May or are you because the number of people I spoke to on my match day vlog who said oh even young fans went, no it's not done yet and yet I look at the the logistics of it and, and the logic of it and think City aren't going to blow this now are they where do you stand on that Oh, you you know me, me and Tony are like the the pessimistics of the team. 
Um, no, I like the the next few games are really, really crucial. But what I would like is for once in our little lifetime is for us to get it done and dusted and not have the stress of like of like waiting. Um, but you know what City like it's it's never it's never uh, easy. But it, it, I think if we got the Premiership done and dusted, it'd give us a chance to focus on the other cups that we're in, because and maybe then there won't be as much stress of the Champions League because we'll be all right because we've already got one out of the way and it just gives us focus on something else and instead of having to worry about other things. Um, but yeah, no, I'd say wait till maybe March. April and then I'll I'll tell you if uh, if if my views have changed but I would hope and pray but no I'll stick with my pessimism for for now. I'll ask Paul the same question in a moment but who for you at the moment because Bernardo has been the player that's got so much praise quite rightly in my opinion for his performances this season is it still him is there another player that that is catching your eye at the moment as being the the key player for City or do you not have a key player well I'd I'd say Cancelo me personally I think Cancelo's been amazing um Aki's been brilliant as well um Aki's Aki's doing really really well at the moment and after what happened with Cancelo what he did yesterday were I'd give him kudos for it because if that was me, I, there's no way I could go and play after what happened. And Kyle Walker, I know he didn't come on, but um, you know, his friend had died and you know, he 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 was out training and stuff. And I just think like them two, after what happened, of just of just, you know, professionalism and all that goes out the window. They just they've just done so, so well. Um, but yeah, Cancelo and Aki are, are, are like two main at the moment. They're doing really, really well. I thought like Diaz was, you know, was top dog, but he was last few games he's been a bit off touch. Um, but yeah, no, I'd say Cancelo for me is like the top one at the moment. He's doing really, really, really well, and I was really proud of him yesterday. Really proud of him. Paul. Uh, yeah, well, you mentioned Diaz. For 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 me, he is. Uh... Uh, a stalwart of the defence. Like top defenders um, value uh, a clean sheet as much as goal scorers value a hat trick. You know what I mean? It, you can see the pride in the two of them. Um, that uh, you know, if they come off the off the pitch and not having conceded a goal. And to be fair, there's one of the reasons why City are so far ahead uh, at the moment is because they haven't conceded any goals. You know, and and uh, Stones must be. Uh, devastated because he had a great season last season, uh, and, I, and I agree with you about Cancelo. But I, I think his his best position is a, is a, on the left side. Walker on the right side. Uh, Cancelo gives us a little bit more going forward on. Even though Zinchenko when he's coming has has, uh, has played really well as well. And I think Ake is is more of a, a left sided centre back who's comfortable on the ball, but he's more of a defender than you know, than a, a sort of a fullback who gets forward a lot and creates stuff. Uh, whereas Zinchenko and Cancelo will create stuff. Cancelo will score goals for you. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. Uh, but but for me, um, uh, Bernardo Silva is a player of the season. It'd take an awful lot for him not to win that now. 
I don't want to be controversial in this question, but um, it's a question that seems relevant. You mentioned uh, John Storms. Um, I believe that his his other half is a, is quite a staunch anti-vaxxer. Uh, and I know that there's been some COVID, of course, that's come into the city's team at the moment. Um, I mean, obviously, you were at the PFA, Paul. You're a player, you know, you... you, you and. I guess that at the time you were playing, there's no COVID, of course, but there would have been some sensitivity to individual information being given out. And I think Rodri may have also been out with COVID, but what that wasn't told at the time. Where, where do you stand on, you know, sort of whether the players should be vaxxed, um, whether whether this information should be public? Uh, I didn't hear Pep's post-match press conference, but I was told by my colleague Stuart Brennan, who I travelled back from Arsenal with, that he, for the first time, revealed some of these bits of information about players being uh, having COVID, perhaps not their vaccination status, but we also know that there's been, um, you know, figures that have been quoted at something like 25% of football league players haven't been vaxxed. Where, where do you stand on this whole this whole issue about health, about vaccination, and 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 the way that um, that COVID's affecting football? Well, I think footballers have got a big responsibility to society generally. It's got a responsibility to its own supporters. It's got a responsibility to all the school children that, that absolutely adore these players on a week-to-week -week basis. They've got a responsibility to set an example. Now, if the Prime Minister and Mr Whitty are saying... Uh, you know, the only way to beat this problem is to get vaccinated, have your booster, then go and do it. Get it done. I don't care who you are, whether you've got uh, political uh, persuasions like uh, Jeremy Corbyn's brother, who's a, uh, who's a staunch anti-vaxxer, or, you know, whether, whether you've got religious uh, reasons why you won't take it. The medical advice is do it. And if players don't do it, then they have to accept the consequences. You know, if, if I was late for training every day, then the consequences would be that I'd be fined by Malcolm Allison or Howard Kendall or whoever I played for. Uh, so it's only the same thing. It's endangering the dressing room uh, and not giving the manager the, abil the ability to select his strongest side. So really, you know, if, if, uh, if you don't, if you don't want to get vaccinated properly, stay at home and then accept the consequences of that. Uh, you know, whether you, you, whether you, um, you reduce the wages uh, because of that, because they're not contributing to the team, is another matter. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure as a, an ex-PFA uh, member, I'd, I'd really want to do that or advocate it. But it's got to be something that makes them, and if it's being left out of the team and left out of the training, then I'm afraid, uh, uh, you know, players need to realise what sort of responsibility they've got as, as leading um, examples of society, really. How do you feel about that, Amy, as a, as a fan? Because you, we're just looking from the outside, really, aren't we? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I, I was double jab, but still got COVID. Um, and I'm quite happy that I had my jabs because, you know, I think I would have been worse than, you know, I'm still suffering the effects now, like, you know, bad chest and stuff. Every every few weeks I get uh, a bad chest. Um, I'm due to have my booster next, this week. 
Um, I, you know, I'm I'm all for jabs. I think with anti-vaxxers, what makes me laugh is that what did they have as kids? Like they weren't there going, well, mum, you can't give me my MMR because I don't believe in it. Or you can't give me my measles jab because I've not, you know, because I'm there's no way on this earth that they didn't have jabs when, when they were kids. I just don't think that's like, because you did. You even had them at school. Uh, unless your parents didn't sign for it, you still had, you know, you still had it sort of thing. I know I had loads of jabs at school and with footballers, like Paul said, I f- you've you've got a responsibility for, you, for your fan base and stuff. I know Bernardo Silva's done a video to say, get your jabs and stuff. Um, I suppose it's hard if your partner is the one that doesn't believe in it. You know, I can imagine it's very like, it's very hard to try and say, to someone, look, I'm I've got out of my jabs or whatever, or um, but like these footballers have had COVID and it's come back round and they've got it. Like obviously, Nicola Teta was one of the first wanted to to uh, get it, and now he's ended up with it again. But I want to know: is it a personal thing that you're not allowed to tell anyone you've got it? So like the footballers who they've sort of said have got it, do they, do they give permission? to say do you want to do you want to tell people I've got it because it just seems like only one or two have been said like that they've got like they told us about Rodri but they didn't tell us Phil Foden had it someone sort of said it on Twitter or Zinchenko supposed to have got it but it's not telling no one's telling you properly it's just like they're telling you one person so is it a private thing is it a personal thing or well, I can, I can understand that, um, you know, personal health is is a confidential matter. Um, and as far as I'm aware, I might be wrong on this. If I am, then then I'm, I'm wrong. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, Fordens is now public. Um, I mean, I don't know what the situation is with John Stones. And so therefore, rather than make it personal, I know his, his, his other half has been quite outspoken as an anti-vaxxer but it makes you wonder when you find that information out as to whether the lack of games in the team that he's had this year relative to what we've seen from him in the past is any in any way connected Um, he was injured I know he's I know he has been injured but you know how how long did you know he has been out for quite a bit now off on and off so you know, like you say, is it because of like his partner or is it because he's, you know, is he choosing to not play himself like because of that or, you know. Jurgen Klopp said uh, no one no one will sign for Liverpool if they haven't been fully vaccinated. Like, you know, now I think all managers have got to say that, that if you've not been vaccinated, you've no chance of, being, of signing for whichever club, a top club. So, you know, even if it's Watford and Brentford or or Norwich, then t- uh, players that are playing in the in the football league will have no chance of playing in the Premiership if they don't, um, you know, if they don't lead by example. I, I, I think that's the right way. What you about know, the general? You go, go, on, go on, Amy. Go on, no, go on, Amy. Saying when you go on holiday now, um, obviously I, I went to Denmark at the end of November and you had to show that you'd been vaccinated to go into the country and to come back out of the country. Now, obviously, footballers who who are abroad would need to show to get into England or wherever anyway um, at the airport. So, like Jürgen's saying about, like, footballers have obviously got to to prove they've been jabbed. 
you have to prove to come back into the country anyway or are they exempt from that from that from people looking at their passport their covid passports well i suppose in theory they could have a, a, a you know a lateral flow test i think or a, you know a pcr test within the two days of traveling so you, you don't have to have been vaccinated to do that um, but I, I just wonder as well a more general question about how COVID is still going to influence the outcome of the Premier League season. I mean, on the positive side and from a City perspective, we've got such depth in our squad that when players are out, and there have been players out with COVID, obviously Kevin De Bruyne was out for a while with it, um, just to give one example, City are probably less affected than others and Pep's been calling for five substitutes quite vociferously. Um, you wonder whether... Uh, rightly or wrongly, um, he's doing that because he knows his squad has got great depth above everybody else. So that would help City. I mean, his argument would be that it's because of COVID, because of injuries, because of the number of games that are played, you know, every three days and City, one of the, if you want to call them victims, but it's because they're so successful that that's why he wants to bring that in. But, you know, it, it ultimately is, is COVID going to affect the season in, in a way that means, yeah, oh God, City fans will hate me for saying this, but makes it, you know, less of a legitimate season if you've won it during during these times. Um, no, no, because City have got their house in order. You know, there might there might have been players that have uh, that um, have COVID, but they've been left at home. So you just you've just spoken about John Stones. Uh, Phil Foden, you know, they've been left away from the club and the and, and, and the rest of the people that are likely to spread um, COVID around the football club. So they've they've acted responsibly uh, by doing that and obviously taking it on the chin that they've not been able to um, put out the strongest side. And people now talk about uh, too many games. You know, football clubs take players on tours. In, in pre-season, they go and play in Australia and China and America, and they'll play pro possibly five or six games before the season even starts. And then they complain that they've got three or four games at Christmas. Do me a favour. You you know, you, you, you're well paid as a professional footballer uh, and you've got a responsibility to the, to the supporters. Um, you know, if it means you have to play every, uh, every third day, then that's all right. You fully fit young athletes. You know, there shouldn't be any problem about that. I remember uh, when I played, we played against Man United on the Saturday at Old Trafford. We, I think we drew two all. Uh, Clive Wilson scored, I think. We drew two all. The following day, we played in the full, full Members' Cup final against Chelsea and, uh, and we got beat 5-3, I think. Um, 5-4. Memory, 5-4, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Lillis, Matt Lillis got a hat trick in here, but but that you know, I mean, that was the day after we played a big derby match. Uh, nobody complained about that because you know you're getting success by playing at Wembley. You're going to be successful. Uh, you're rewarded accordingly. Just get on with it. Get on with it. And uh, you know, three substitutes is enough, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And five substitutes would give the likes of Manchester City. Uh, Liverpool, Man United, a big advantage over, uh, you know, uh, teams that can't afford the same sort of strength as squad, um, you know, so 
I think maybe to, to make it a fairer competition, the rules are okay at the moment. We haven't heard from Harlan yet, but um, we, he's joining us now. I mean, I don't know what you think about five substitutes, for example, Harlan. Is that, is that something that you've got a view on? You've heard what Paul's just said. Uh, yeah, I mean, five subs is one of those things, isn't it, that's always going to help. It's going to help the bigger sides, of course, including ourselves. It's going to help sides um, out in the sense that it will give managers more to choose from when you've got a stronger squad. I think that's something... Myself and you have spoken about Ian at length, um, you know, before. Um, so for sides like, you know, your your, your Norwich, for example, um, yes, they still get the option of five substitutes. But their five substitutes are a lot. They're not of, they're not of similar quality to, to the likes of us, Chelsea, uh, even Arsenal now, uh, United, Liverpool, Tottenham, etc., so what it does is it almost gives the manager for me, just from looking at it from, from this perspective for a second, not that I'm not an advocate for it, it's just a devil's advocate opinion like you'd normally give, is that the you almost give the coach a, a get-out-of-jail-free card five times where he might tactically set up wrong and then the game's not going well and he gets five shots at tweaking it with five top quality elite football players, whereas Norwich have maybe one or two quality players on a bench and they get less of an advantage. So I think five subs is great to get players on the pitch, to keep players ticking over and to lessen fatigue and to make sure that players are able to play as many games as are demanded of them every season. But in terms of the advantage it gives to bigger clubs over smaller clubs, I think that there is that problem, yeah. I think, I think also, you know, I don't know whether anybody has considered maybe having five substitutes uh, over the Christmas period, three substitutes and maybe over the Easter period when the games tend to uh, accumulate a little bit, like, you know, but uh, that might be one way of appeasing uh, some of the managers who, who, who want a bit more option on the bench. Well, while I, I know you've got a busy day, Paul, and I'm really appreciative of the fact that you've given me so much of your time. So um, I'm going to let you go soon. But I just want to ask you about um, a lad that came into the City Academy when you were still there. He was only a kid at the time, Phil Folden. I mean, how, how early do you detect a quality of, of an ability of a footballer like him? Can you tell so early that he's going to be so good? Yeah. Of course you can. It's obvious. It's obvious with all the respects that I spoke about in the in the early part of the program, like his touch, his ability, his awareness, whether he plays with uh, with his teammates or whether he's just a, a player who dribbles with the ball on his own. Uh, you see, I think, I'm, I'm, and I'm not going to. I don't want to be critical of Manchester United, but I think they've got a lot of uh, players like Jaden Sancho. You know, he's, he's been released by Manchester City, not, not because he's not a good player, but maybe because he's not good around the dressing room. I don't know that for certain. It might, you know, but I get that impression. And I, I, do, I also get the impression that United probably signed players uh, that are the best players, um, you know, in the world on the pitch, but not great examples maybe in the dressing room. And they're not all together. You know, City are all together. You know, uh, when De Bruyne is brought off, there's no tantrums. 
you know, there, there was a, a slight bit tantrum when um, Aguero was uh, not getting as much time on the pitch as he would have liked, you know. But in general, I think if uh, if Pep has someone in the dressing room who he doesn't think is right for the dressing room, he'll sell them on, he'll get rid of them. And, and that's the most important thing about the group at City, you know, and I think he, to manage that, you know, he's, he's, we know he's a top, top manager, but he man, I think he manages people's minds as well as their um, physical ability and physical fitness. And, you know, I think he's a he's, uh, he's top, top man for that. When people talk about what is the secret to City's success, is that it? Have you just defined it, Paul? Well, I'd like to think so. You know, uh, I, I'd really like to think so because when I look at the team, there's a, there's a togetherness. Like Phil Foden played for England, uh, not always in the team. A young, irrational player might fly off the handle and put in transfer requests and want to get off to abroad. I want to play for AC Milan and bloody Barcelona. But he doesn't because he seems happy there and people in the club keep him happy and make him realise that he, he is of value to the club, you know. So uh, if he's prepared to accept that and live with those circumstances, he'll always be a part of Manchester City. The people who don't, the people who think, no, I should be in the first team and I don't care what you think, you know. I don't care if you think I should track back when uh, when I lose the ball, you know, because I, I give you more when I've got the ball at my feet. You know, those sort of people won't last five minutes in the dressing room at Manchester City, I'm sure. I don't, I'm not sure, I'm just reading between the lines, but I think that's how it'll be. Maybe we can see an example of that happening at Arsenal at the moment because Arteta was uh, tutored by Pep uh, it's took him a little while, but he's gone in there and, uh, you know, Obama Yang's gone out of the team who was seen as perhaps, a, you know, a bit more of a, an egotistical player or whatever. Um, and Arsenal slowly seem to be getting better. And we saw in the game against City that they're far more together, that they were pressing as a unit. So you can see the development of all that. So I think I think you're nailing it really, Paul. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less, but... That that is what the secret is, isn't it? And I I wonder how how does Pep keep all the egos happy, all the millionaires happy? It's it's, it's an almost impossible task, isn't it? Well, Grealish, a hundred million pound player, spent most of the time on the on the bench this year. Like you know, I mean, I'm I'm sure he's not happy about that situation, but you know, as as part of the group, he probably realizes that uh, Bernardo Silva, Gundogan. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, they, they're producing more than he did. I mean, I, when he when he was on the pitch at Brentford, I, I got the impression that he wanted the ball at his feet all the time, but he, he wasn't really prepared to make runs beyond the uh, their defenders to get the ball, you know, in behind. He always wants the ball at his feet. Bernardo Silva will make runs in behind. Mares makes runs in behind. Phil Foden will make runs in behind and have it at his feet. So as a defender, you've got a real problem now. If he, is he, if he comes off to have it at his feet and you go with him and then he goes and gets it in behind, you've got a real problem, right? You know, so, um, yeah, I, I think Pet knows exactly the type of player that he wants in his squad and his dressing room. Well, Paul, uh, we're going to get you back on the podcast again soon, but I know you've got a busy day um, ahead of you. So thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go and get your day organised. So um, thanks very much. Um, great, great forthright opinions. Love it.
it's been a pleasure and good to meet you. Good oh. to see you again. Can I just ask um, the, the, the young lady who's uh, Tracy, is it? No. Amy. Amy, sorry. No. Amy, what, how come you've got a picture of uh, Moonbeam on, on your on your <laughs> wall? I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's been there <laughs> ages. Oh, right. Okay. So, it, so it's not you then? You've no, never, it's you, you never ever worn that outfit? No. Oh, no, right. sometime, okay. sometime privately, Paul, I'll tell you who did for a long time. <laughs> but, 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 um, but, you know, we've got to keep the myth going. It is not him anyway. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, au revoir, Paul. Enjoy the rest Cheers, of your Paul. day. Yeah, thanks very much. All the best, you too. Cheers, Paul. See you. Cheers, Ian. Well, that was Paul Power joining us, uh, obviously, on the uh, on the podcast, which I thank him very much for. Now, we haven't heard a lot from you, Harlan. Um, let's hear a little bit of your thoughts now on, on where City have been up to in terms of the, the recent games, because we've already heard from Amy, we heard from Paul a little bit uh, earlier on. You know, we're City off colour, we're Arsenal a lot better. Uh, what, what do you make of City's form at the moment? Yeah, I mean form overall, Ian. Um, yeah, for me, I mean form overall. We look, we look, we look very, very good overall. Um, Despite the fact just... that, that, that even Pep admitted or claimed that City weren't that great against uh, Arsenal or were second best. No, and I agree. I agree. I do agree. But I think that that that's going to come. That's going to come with the with the quality you showed in the previous nine or ten games. I think. Well, that we've shown this season. I mean, there's not been many games where we've been below the par that I believe now is our par or above. And that is one being Crystal Palace at home where we were pretty woeful. Uh, first half yesterday where we weren't, we weren't woeful. We weren't very, very, very bad. We were just under par and leggy and lagging and a few passes going astray and players maybe not working as hard as normal because they physically couldn't because of the demand of the Christmas period and still won 2-1. So I think yesterday was, in Pep's mind, as much as he's a performance coach and wants to see the performance, I think yesterday was about getting the result. Um, there's a lot of people talking about us beating Arsenal and Chelsea and the title being done. For me, the title is done. Um and I'm not afraid to say it either because at Newcastle back in November 2019, I was going mad at people for saying that the title was over. And we were, I think, I think it was 11 to 15 points behind at the time. I can't remember the number. And I'm an optimist, but I'm not a blind optimist. But I'll look at this side. Where are we going to lose 11 points? Where? Just tell me where this side is going to lose 11 points. We've not lost 11 points in the last three seasons have we or four seasons that we've won the league so for me for us to have a, a, a you know for us to lose this title now we would have to have players unhappy players losing their minds turning out you know three out of ten performances uh pet picking the wrong team four or five times for me there's going to be there's a lot of variables that have to go wrong now for us to to to, to, to throw this title away and I think that will only motivate the players, the fact that in their minds, they will know that what they've achieved in half a season has almost guaranteed them a Premier League title, some five, some four. And I think that you look at it and that will only um, that will only be motivation for these players and not demotivation because I don't think they're complacent. I think that they are 
extremely, extremely confident. And that's why we won yesterday and that's why we'll continue to win the most games we can before the end of the season. But I think you look at it and I think overall this season, some of the performances as a unit, as a team, which you've touched on yourself, Paul's touched on it and Amy's men mentioned it in previous pods as well as today. It, it's, it's almost a better cohesive team than 17-18, the way we play. Because in 17-18, maybe we had eight out of every 11 players that were on fire. Three could duck and dive as they, as they wanted to and still it had turned into a 4 or 5 nil, or a 6 nil, or a 7 nil, or, or an 8 nil win against Watford, um, you know, two seasons ago. Now it's, it's all 11 players, and then for five minutes they might have a couple of off passes, but for the majority of the game, they're on fire. This squad, for me, is the best squad, including players from 17-18 and 18-19, and Serge was the last one of the Mancini and, 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 uh, and Pellegrini era, and Fernandinho, of course, Pellegrini's player. But this is the best squad that we have ever had in my lifetime, of course. And this is the best squad that I think the Premier League has ever seen on paper and on grass. And that is including, by the way, the Arsenal Invincibles team that I thought were absolutely unbelievable throughout my childhood and that I honestly really loved watching. And this is better. And whether you're a, a blue, a red, um, you know, a, a Scouser, an Everton fan, a, a Chelsea fan, whoever you may be, it's time to take off them glasses and it is time to look and it is time to say that this is this is world-class football, win, lose or draw. Because there's games where we've lost this season and there's games where we've drawn this season. And in previous seasons, where for me, we have been still the better side and still one of the best sides that weekend in the Premier League. with that good? I can't have convinced you, Amy, because if you look at the fixes that are left now, there are 17 games to go. You're the one whose glasses are always half empty, as you've already said. Um, City have, have played away already at Chelsea, Liverpool, United. They've played both games against Arsenal, home and away. Even Tottenham, if you want to call them a, a, a title challenger, which I don't think they are, but certainly one of the, the bigger clubs. Uh, all the remaining games against those clubs in the league are all at home. Um, Harlan said, where are they going to drop 11 points from? They're not going to drop 11 points, are they? I, no, I don't think we'll drop 11 points, but I don't well, think... Well, then you're admitting we'll... City are going to win the league. I don't think we'll win all the games, but I just don't think I don't think we'll drop eleven points because I, 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 that's just a bit silly, isn't it? But I don't like I say talk to me in March and April, and I'll and I'll and I'll like I'll I'll have changed my mind probably. You think we've convinced her, Arlen? Because <laughs> I don't uh, know what quite sure you know. she, The thing is with Amy, she, she when when she's being serious, she always smart, smiles and laughs, so you never quite know where you, where, where, where she is. <laughs> But um, I think, yeah, I agree, Amy. Listen, we're going to lose. We're going to lose another game. Um, we'll lose another game or we'll lose two more games and, and, and draw one. Um, I think we're, we're more than likely going to draw two and lose one game. And that one game could come anywhere. It could, could look, who, who expected us to lose to Palace at home? Honestly, going into that game, I thought we were coming away with a 4-0 win. And that wasn't me being arrogant. That was just, I think we'll come away with a 4-0 win here based on how we're playing at the moment. And we came away with a 2 loss. Um, a couple of years ago, we, we lost to Palace 3-2 at home just before Christmas. Again, Tanzan's great strike. Should have won the game, if anything, and it came earlier than that. You've got to look at us and you just got to think, 
these players aren't robots, but they play 37 games or 36 games a season or take the two draws off as well. They play 34 games a season like robots. And the other four, they'll draw to and lose to because for some reason the batteries are running low. So, yeah, I think that's that's where we are right now with this team here. Now, I used to be a journalist a lot closer to City probably than I am now. Um in my days working at the BBC and one thing and another, and whilst I'm still a journalist and still broadcast and still write and things like that, I, I'm the first to admit that I'm not as, quite as close as I once was. Um, and I know there are lots of people who claim that they know lots of things. And I try not to do that unless I actually do know something. Um, I drove back from Arsenal with Stuart Brennan, who's a pal of mine, who is a Manchester Evening News uh, writer who's very close to the club. So I asked him, I don't think he'd, he'd say I was, you know, um, giving away a confidence or anything by saying this. But when I said to him, do you think City will sign anybody in January? He said no. And he was quite sort of adamant about it. And, and he thinks that nothing nothing major anyway, um, and maybe not even something minor will happen, despite the fact that there's still speculation that somebody might come in in January. And when you look at Torres leaving, you know, you wonder whether the kitty is being built up. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to ask you to what, not not to give me any insights because I don't suppose you've got any, any more insight than I have. But do you feel that City need to sign somebody in January, or do they just leave it alone and they've got what they need? Amy, what, what's your thoughts? I don't I don't think we'll sign anybody. I really don't. I think um, I think they'll just wait. I don't think I don't think anyone will be coming in January. I really don't. I think the feeling that Stuart gave me was that he said, if the if suddenly there was the right player, so let's say Harland, which is the one on everybody's lips, suddenly was available, then that might change things. But that there were no plans. What do you think, um, Harland? Yeah, well, uh, listen. Growing up as a kid, the transfer window was like Christmas. Um, you know, me and Danny still never say Happy New Year to each other. We always say Happy Transfer Window Day. Um, that that's just how I am. Um, so as, 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 as a lad, I mean, I'd sit there at, at, at my computer at home on dial-up connection, refreshing the page every five minutes to see if City had signed anyone. And I remember I refreshed it till about seven o'clock one night and Georgia Samaras came in and I was like, oh, we signed a, signed a striker, mum. It's called Samaras, he's from Herenveen. This could be big. Well, you know, we all know how that ended, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but I look back at it and I think, back then I used to look forward to signing players. That's because... We were constantly trying to build a squad that was never going to be built. Um, since Mancini, I'm a lot less open to signing players in January, especially when you're on a run or you're on fire or you're playing as well as we are, because it can upset the rhythm. It can upset the apple cart a bit, especially if you go and sign someone for money, they're expecting to come straight in and play. Uh, maybe Grealish is feeling that at the moment. Um, and there's not really any position on the pitch where I am extremely worried. Even with Zinni at left back, you know, he's, he's good enough there. Carl uh, Walker's back fit now. Cancelo is obviously, even after the assault, by the way, which I've just, I, he may not listen to this, but I'd just like to pass on my best wishes to him and his family for that because that was horrendous. Uh, no football player should have to go through that no matter how much money you earn. So, yeah, you know, well done for getting on with the game yesterday and putting in at least the best performance he could with what he'd had to face a couple of days previous. 
And uh, obviously he can slot in at left wing back. So there's not a position on the pitch now with Rodri playing better, uh, playing well and doing bits this season where I think we need January improvement. Summer improvement, yes, but not January improvement. So right now I'm, in, I'm of the opinion, which is the complete opposite to what I was as a child, and that is that I'm not looking forward to, to refreshing the page all day and seeing somebody specifically coming in. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I am excited for the summer transfer window to see how we up it another level to this because I'm not quite sure how you do that. So, Fifty, you don't need a striker in January, Amy? No. I think, uh, how, how many players score goals? Like we, we sing it at the game. Like you know, we put you know half the team does. So I, I think we're I think we'll be all right. We'll be. I don't and, think and, we, I don't think we need anyone. There's an, there's enough of them lads to score a goal. It's fine. <laughs> For the only way you lose 11 see, points. Paul mentioned Manchester in the background before. He can't score a goal for City, can he? Or maybe he could in this team. He, may, he, he might be able to. I, I want Edison to score a goal. That's what I want. I want the last the last game Edison of this season, Edison to score a goal. That's what I want to see. I'll tell you what, if City have won the league before the season ends and there's a penalty, there's got to be odds on that oh, he's going to take one, he, isn't there? I, I want, I've seen him take sh shot. Uh, that did you watch the record breaker thing that he did? That guy I is like, you can, that's just like madness. If he, he needs to score a goal, definitely needs to score a goal. Right, let, let's conclude the, the podcast by looking ahead to what's next, which is an FA Cup game at Swindon on Friday night. Um, uh, big, there's obviously a week now before that happens. We know there's COVID cases. We know there's complications. We can't even be certain at the moment of any game, but uh, let alone that game, you know, will it go ahead? Um, and then after the Swindon game, there's another whole week before Chelsea, um, which is clearly a, a still a big game. So do you pick your strongest team at Swindon? Do you bring in Cole Palmer and, uh, you know, and different, different younger players? How do you approach it, Amy? Yeah, I think um, I think I think he'll put some of the younger players on for Friday. I really do. Um, I think he'll like. He might bring. I think he'll bring some big players on on Friday, but I think he'll leave some for the following week. Um, they need yeah, a week though. After that, I mean, it's a Friday night game, and Chelsea's not until more than seven days later. You know what Pep's like, though. He, he'll 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 do something. But, yeah, I think Cole Palmer will play. And I think some of the other lads will play. Um, but, obviously, like, Mares isn't going to be there, is he now? So, they'll need someone to to um, put his, you know, to slot in to where he was. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, you know what Pep's like. He, he'll he'll just do his little tweaking and it'll be... But, I, th I you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to Friday. I think Sunday will give us a bit of a game. I like I like the young I like the uh, thingy teams because they 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 more they they want they want it more so they, they play more and they'll fight so I I'm looking forward to Friday. Alan, yeah, I mean it's an exciting one, isn't it? You know, what I mean Swindon Town, it, it's it, you know they're they're a, they're a decent side in their own right right now, fifth in the league I believe as well in League Two, so they're not they're not they're not pushovers in their own league. Um, it's a physical league, though, League Two, let's not forget as well. So there's going to be a bit of rough and tumble. So obviously some of the players that maybe aren't used to that, they should all be now, um, might get a few more dubious challenges than they get in the Premier League. Although yesterday was a bit of a scrap fest, wasn't it? But um, I think, yeah, I think Swindon, Swindon's one of them. It's a bit like Cheltenham last year. Both good, both good football insides. 
but they can go long, they can go physical, they can be robust. So we've got to be prepped for that. But I don't think would we should have any your strongest problems. team. Uh, would you pick your strongest team, Harlan, or would you think, well, let's not take any risks with, with Chelsea? Which way would you go? I am looking at the Chelsea game consciously and thinking, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love it if I'd love it if we played our strongest eleven against against Chelsea and, and and thumped them at home because I think that seeing what we did the first game at Stamford Bridge with our own fans behind us at the Etihad, we beat them six 0 a couple of years ago. Yes, different side, but I reckon with Chelsea being a bit unsettled at the moment, all of the Kaku stuff, Tuchel seeming to get a bit of player power coming against him, I believe, in my opinion. I think they're a bit unsettled and it's the perfect time to rock Chelsea. So I'd love to have a fully fit, cohesive squad and smack them. Um, but in the sense of Swindon, maybe find a happy medium balance between first team players that maybe aren't playing as much as they'd like to. So yeah, you agree this years and, you know, maybe play Foden just for the extra minutes as well, uh, even though he's becoming a top, top, uh, you know, minute maker now in the, in the, in the, in the first team. Uh, maybe would like to see a bit of KK as well. Be on the bench three times, I think, last couple of weeks. A uh, bit of Cole Palmer, a uh, bit of uh, Esbrand as well. Um, maybe Romeo Levia comes back into the side and plays all the midfield. I'd like to see a couple of the younger lads and a couple of the... Well, it's not fair to call them that now. I'd like to see a couple of the, the new first-teamers that have come up from the EDS. And I'd also like to see some experienced players that need minutes to help them get... get Help them feel more part of this this next final running that we're going to be approaching after Chelsea. Because if we do beat Chelsea, for me, I'm already thinking it now. That that's it. That 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 is it. And then we can we can enjoy our football and cruise to the end of the season. But but th this one for me feels like it's the final day of the season in a sense. In my mind, in a sense, I'm not being complacent. I'm not being rude. I'm not being obnoxious. If we beat Chelsea, well, who else is going to come to town and have a go, really, when we're on fire? You know, there's a derby. Told, it's always I've a told you, Amy. Derby, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I've told you, Amy. Uh, listen, thanks very much to, uh, to Paul, who was with us before. Thanks very much to Harlan and to Amy. And a very big Happy New Year once again. Thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, and also part of the property transaction processes. Uh, check them out. Have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk. Uh, ring the number, have a chat to them. And uh, they've got a very friendly team there. who will try and give you some much needed advice. Well, it might not be much needed, but some advice if you need it on uh, on mortgages and, and buying and selling. Um, thanks very much for, for subscribing, for downloading, for spreading the word. Don't forget to have a look at the the, uh, the match day vlogs that I do. Uh, latest one, of course, being from Arsenal uh, at the weekend. There's some interesting people. I always meet people that I'm not expecting to meet who tell me stories that I wasn't expecting to hear. And uh, there's hardly an exception at the moment. I just seem to be very lucky in who I bump into. Um, if you've been that person who I bumped into, thank you. If you've got a story to tell, let me know and maybe we can arrange to meet. But if you just want to watch them, check them out on YouTube, of course, under the name of Forever Blue, Orion Cheeseman. Uh, thanks very much for your support. And uh, uh, as ever, a very big, isn't it great to be a blue? <laughs>